Hey guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy Williams, and I have the opportunity and privilege to serve here as the student pastor. Uh, it is also my privilege to serve uh, intermittently on the preaching team, and this morning is one of those times, and I'm super, super pumped about it. Uh, before we dive into God's Word, I did want to mention this. I wanted to express to you guys my gratitude uh, for last weekend. We took our student ministry to uh, our annual Rise Retreat. Uh, it was a really, really awesome opportunity, and, and that was made possible by your prayers, by your giving to allow people um, who needed scholarships to be able to go. And uh, it ended up being just a really, really cool time to see God move in their life. And so I, I wanted to express that, that gratitude to you uh, from the get-go. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and dive in. Um, for the last several weeks, we have been in this series called The People of God, in which we have explored how God uses certain individuals in the Bible to accomplish his will. Right, we've looked at people like Adam and, and Noah and Moses and Abraham, Joseph, David, and a few other people. Uh, this morning, we're going to wrap up this series as we look at another Old Testament character by the name of Esther. What do you know about Esther? A lot? Well, I better be on my toes then. Holy moly, here we go. Before we dive in, though, uh, I, I want to just set up this morning by asking you this question. Have you ever asked yourself, what purpose does God have for my life? Have you ever asked yourself that? What purpose does God have for my life? To take it a step further, have you ever uh, been experiencing a really tough time in your life and you wondered where God was? Probably all of us, right, have been at that point. You know, you've looked around you don't really know what's going on, and in your mind, you just didn't feel like God was there. Right? All of us have probably been at that point in our lives before, and in the book of Esther, that is the very situation that God's people find themselves in. At this time period uh, where the book of Esther begins, it's about 475, 480 B.C., and uh, God's people, the Jews, were in exile in the Persian Empire with no temple in which to worship the one true God. And for them, God's presence, which was symbolized by this temple, was a, a distant memory. And I imagine that they said things like, you know, where is God? We have no temple. It's been destroyed. We've been scattered. And now we're living amongst a pagan people who do not fear God. They don't care about us. We need direction. You know, does God want us to remain here? Does he want us to return to our homeland? Life for them must have seemed completely hopeless. Fortunately, the story of Esther is a story about the presence and character of God. Not in some building somewhere, but in the lives and circumstances surrounding his people. Furthermore, the book of Esther is the ultimate peak into the sovereignty and the providence of God. Because while God seemed to be distant, he was actually preparing to deliver his people. He was in control of every event that we're about to look at. You know, throughout Esther, this, this, there's this whole series of, of seemingly coincidental events that happen. And if they didn't all happen in the way that they did, all of the Jews and the hope of the Messiah, the hope of Jesus, would have been wiped out. But... Because one thing after another after another happened, God's people were saved. 
These aren't coincidences that we're gonna be looking at this morning. These are events orchestrated by God who was powerfully at work in his people's lives. So since it, Esther's about ch 10 chapters long and I wanna be respectful of your time, we're, we're not gonna look or read at the entire thing, but we will pick out bit, bits and pieces from most of the chapters to kind of explain the story of Esther. So get ready to flip some pages. If you haven't yet, go ahead and find Esther in your Bible. And uh, we're gonna have the verses on the screen for you and um, I'll let you know where we're going to be reading. Before we do get started, I would like to pray uh, just to set up our time together this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the book of Esther. And as we're going to see, things did look like they were pretty bleak for your people. And I could see where they may have wondered where you were at, and I could see where they may have questioned. But Lord, as we're going to see, your faithfulness never waned. And because of your sovereignty, the things that are going to play out the way that they do in this book of Esther didn't happen by accident, didn't happen by chance, but it's because of your ultimate plan unfolding as you saw fit. So be with us as we open up your word this morning and take a look at Esther. Allow us to uh, even think about our own lives and our own stories where we sometimes question what you're doing. But beyond that questioning, I pray that we realize and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are sovereign, there's a work that you're doing, and we should trust in that. I pray this in your name, amen. So the story of Esther this morning begins in chapter one with this king, King Ahasuerus, holding this crazy party for himself and hundreds of his male associates. And what you see is they're gorging themselves on food and getting pretty intoxicated. And what the king's doing is he just kind of wants to show off his wealth and power. He's pretty proud of himself. Uh, but then all of a sudden he gets another idea of something that he wants to show off to his buddies. And that is his beautiful wife, Queen Vashti. So taking a look at chapter one, let's look at verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abigatha, Zether, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. What does he do? He calls for her to come down so she can be on display in front of his drunken buddies. Listen, as a side note, before we move forward, husbands, I need you to know this is not the way for you to get your wife to do what you want her to do. I, I just felt like I needed to say that, so, so just take note of that, okay? Not the way to handle things. King Ahasuerus was not the example that we needed to be following. But, but not surprisingly, what does Queen Vashti do? She refuses the king. You're not gonna put me on display like that. And this was incredibly disrespectful to the king. So like the completely rational human being that he was, insert sarcasm, uh, King Ahasuerus, he, he revokes her crown and he throws her out of the palace. 
Furthermore, he decides that he's going to hold a beauty contest in order to see who his next wife is going to be. Like I said, real smart guy. And you know, believe it or not, God is actually sovereign in this moment. You know, when the king gets drunk and he makes this inappropriate invitation to Queen Vashti, we don't typically say, wow, God was really at work in that situation. But without that, without God giving Vashti the courage to stand up to these men who wanted to use her, to persecute her, to dehumanize her, the king would have never heard of Esther and she would have never been put into a position to eventually save God's people. You realize that? And the same is true for us. And by that, I mean that God is sovereign when others want to use us for their own personal gain or satisfaction. You know, everyone in this room has likely experienced being used or betrayed, perhaps by even someone who is close to us. In those moments when we do experience this, we have to believe that God is still in control. He's still with us. He has not left us alone. He cares about us and he is sovereign over our futures. So when others make fun of you, when they betray you, when they use you, when the person you think that is the closest to you decides to do something that is so hurtful that it just rips your heart out, remember that God is in control. When we give control of our future to God instead of allowing others to influence our future, then we will never go wrong. Let's take a look at the next chapter, starting in verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. She won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So remember, King Ahasuerus says, I'm going to have a beauty contest to see who's going to be my next queen. So he brings in hundreds of the most beautiful women in the kingdom. And for a year, they are kept in the king's palace. And what they're going to do is they're going to undergo these beauty treatments and this training, basically getting prepared to spend one night with the king to basically be on display to see which one of them would become the next queen. And one of these young girls was Esther a Jewish girl. And a little further up, actually in verse seven, the Bible says that Esther was lovely and beautiful. This is what attracted the king to her. You know, I think if if the king was attracted to smart women, then God would have made Esther the smartest person in the kingdom. I think if, if he was attracted to girls who were really good at making baskets, then she would have been the best basket maker in Persia. Why does that matter? Because God made her exactly who she needed to be in order to accomplish his purpose. If she wasn't stunningly beautiful, it is likely the king would have tossed her about and God's people might have been annihilated. But that's not what happened. The sovereignty of God prevailed again and it's going to keep doing so over and over and over again as Esther unfolds. You know, eventually Esther was made queen 
King Ahasuerus made her cousin Mordecai a palace official. It was God who placed him there for this reason. God is sovereign not only in the position that Mordecai occupies, but he's also sovereign over the exact gate that Mordecai is going to be chosen to guard. Let's take a look at chapter 2, verse 21. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry, and they sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. You know, while it may seem that Mordecai just happened to overhear this conversation, I need you to know he didn't just randomly hear this conversation. God wanted him to hear it and he made it happen. If God had not been present in this, if God had not placed Mordecai in the position to overhear these two eunuchs talking, then Ahasuerus may have been assassinated and everything could have fallen apart. You know, in thinking about our own lives, God has a reason behind every small and seemingly insignificant conversation and interaction that we have with other people. Have you ever thought about that? Right, we, we have conversations all the time every day. Things that we think about, right? Because people are closest to us that we have conversations with. But then sometimes we talk to people and we don't even think twice about it. But you know what? Every chance you get to talk to someone is a chance for you to share Jesus. Every chance you get to talk to someone is an opportunity to honor God, a chance to encourage them, to give them hope. Every chance you have to hear about someone who is hurting or who is lonely is a chance for you to pray and help them. Don't overlook the small encounters that you have with people throughout the day. These are opportunities for God to use you to make a difference in someone's life. Just like he used Mordecai to make a difference in the king's life. Next, let's look at chapter 3 as we read the first handful of verses together. Starting in verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamandatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down to pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman, in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down and pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all of the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. And as we move into chapter 3, if ever Satan had a golden opportunity to destroy the ancestry that Jesus would come from, this was the time. If Satan could cut off the Davidic lineage by wiping out all of the Jews, then he could prevent the Messiah from appearing in fulfillment of God's prophecies. 
Satan wanted to use Haman's hatred for the Jews to destroy God's plan for salvation. But you know what? God is sovereign over Satan's hateful schemes. Do you believe that? That goes for our situation now as well. You know, our God is greater than those who hate us. Our God is stronger than Satan, who the Bible says wants to destroy us. God has decided our future, and nothing will be able to stand in the way of that. You know, like Paul says in the book of Romans, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? So what happens next is Haman somehow convinces the king that killing all the Jews is a good idea, and when Mordecai learns of these plans, he acts. He reaches out to Esther and he wants her to go to her husband and plead for mercy on behalf of the Jews. They have to derail Haman's plan somehow. Let's read Esther chapter four, verses 11 through 17. And it begins with a response from Esther. She says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, but there is one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai said to them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent At this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on behalf, on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Can you feel how terrified Esther is in this moment? Yes, she was the queen and married to King Ahasuerus, but that didn't matter. The law said that if she entered his court, without having been summoned, she could be killed. But you know what? The Jews were already sentenced to death. So Esther either does nothing and the entire Jewish nation is wiped out, or she tries to save them and could die anyway. Not a fun place to be. This is a pretty bad situation with seemingly no good options. And Esther, she's scared, she's afraid, she doesn't know what's going to happen. Fortunately, though, Mordecai trusted his sovereign God to rescue the Jews. Did you see that? He said, you know, Esther, if you don't do this, God's going to do something else. I think he also knew, though, that God had promoted this orphaned exile, previously orphaned exile, who's Esther for, for a reason. It was now up to Esther to choose to have the courage to pursue that reason. And you know what? The same is true for us as well. The plans that God has for our lives, he has already decreed. And as he puts us into different places, into different positions, into different circumstances, we have the opportunity 
to have the courage to pursue whatever reason that he has us in that moment. The question is, are we doing that? Do we have the same confidence and trust in a sovereign God like Mordecai had? That's the question. You know, soon after her conversation with Mordecai, Esther, she decides to take that step of courage and and sets up a meeting with the king and with Haman at a banquet the following day. Meanwhile, what you see, if you continue to read in Esther, is that Haman, he has set up this 75-foot pole that he intends to drop Mordecai onto in order to impale him the next day. Sounds pretty exciting. With all this going on, the king, he eventually goes to bed to try to get some sleep. Look with me at chapter 6, starting in verse 1. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing's been done for him. So what does King Ahasuerus do? He, He brings Mordecai in and he gives him the highest honor. And he totally screws up Haman's plan, which is awesome. You know, if the king had fallen asleep... He never would have read this historical account of how Mordecai had been instrumental in saving his life. And the following morning, Mordecai would have been murdered. And that's not all that happens. The next day, the banquet that Esther sets up takes place. And when King Ahasuerus hears from Esther, who is a Jew, that it is her and her family who Haman wishes to kill, he goes crazy on Haman. Look at chapter 7, starting in verse 6. And Esther said, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking, this guy needs to chill on the wine, by the way, and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, and Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house fifty cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king had abated. Talk about irony. Now there's no reason to fear, no reason to doubt, no reason to worry because because of the sovereignty and the providence of God, his people are safe and protected. Furthermore, the Jews experienced victory over their enemies in the latter chapters of the book of Esther. And most of all, God's plan for the Messiah, for Jesus to come, is still intact. Why is this the case? 
because God is sovereign to fulfill his promises. We can unwaveringly believe in every promise of God. Anything that he says that he will do, he will do. His word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. His word also says that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus alone, then we have a relationship with him and we are guaranteed, we are promised heaven someday. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says it like this, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Just as God was sovereign and in control of every aspect of Esther's life, he is sovereign and in control of your life as well and mine. And this is where I wanna land today. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but the book of Esther is actually the only book in the entire Bible that does not explicitly mention God. Did you notice that? Yet I don't know about you, I see the hand of God strong in Esther's life. He took a formerly orphaned girl and made her queen to be the vessel that he was going to use to save his people. That's big time. And that should give us confidence to know that God has plans for your life in order to use you to accomplish something great. Do you believe that? As the worship team and prayer partners begin to come up, I don't know where your life is right now, but I can assure you of this, whether your life is good right now or whether it seems like your life doesn't even make sense right now, you can trust that God is sovereignly working in it to accomplish his purpose. You can trust that God is sovereignly working in your life to accomplish his purpose. So to echo the words of Mordecai that we saw in an earlier chapter, are we going to keep silent, questioning what the future holds? Or as the people of God, are we prepared to trust God for such a time as this to love us, to take care of us, and to accomplish something great through our story? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the life of Esther. Thank you that we read about a series of events that seemed coincidental, that seemed that they just so happened to work out the way that they were supposed to. And it's easy because your name isn't mentioned to say, oh, well, you know, that's just coincidence. It's just how it worked out, God. But we have to believe, we have to know because you are sovereign, you worked everything out in Esther's life the way that you saw fit. And in thinking about our own lives today, would we trust in that same sovereignty? Whether our life is good, like I said, or whether our life is, is crazy right now, Lord, I don't know. But I do know that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we experience, no matter what lies ahead, it is according to your plan and your purpose. And would we trust in that? Would we rest in that? Would we stop trying to be the controller of our life, which is crippling and it's defeating because we will fail, we will mess up, we will make mistakes. But would we hand our life over to you, knowing that no matter what we go through, your plan will prevail. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people in this room. And as we take some time to continue to worship and to just reflect on what you've taught this morning, would we let go 
of control and give it to you. Trust in the sovereign plan that you have for our life. I pray this in your name.